Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com, where we answer the questions you ask about Metro Phoenix. I'm your host, Kayla White. Anyone who's heard the word Mesopotamia knows that agriculture is the foundation of civilization. And that's true in Phoenix. But as the metro area expands, is it pushing out farms? As one question asker put it, how are urban farms able to survive in the valley? Audio strategist Katie O'Connell looks at the future of farming in Phoenix. Phoenix was built on agriculture. Literally. The first farmers that came in uh, created the canal. They used the Hohokam canal system, and they created a canal system. And then they were able to grow food. That's Liz Foster, the executive director for the Maricopa County Farm Bureau. If you've listened to our episodes on population growth, you know what would happen later. Our population boomed after World War II. The Arizona Memories series from Arizona PBS describes it this way. When the war was over... Some thought Phoenix would go back to what it was before the war, a quiet little city living off tourists and grapefruit. But local boosters weren't about to let the boom end, and they didn't have to look far for signs of opportunity. The abundant water behind Roosevelt Dam had made farming the principal industry of the valley. But people saw richer opportunities here. For this farming community possessed most of the elements needed for housing and manufacturing. Land, a good climate, and plenty of water. Land, good climate, and plenty of water may have been the building blocks of the valley. But today, we're looking at a bit of a different picture. Have you noticed? More people on the streets, more cars on the roads. And there's a reason for that. Maricopa County once again topping the list as the fastest growing county in America. Agriculture built Phoenix, but the exponential population growth meant that more land was being converted from agricultural land to residential land. To help put this in perspective, I'm bringing back a familiar voice to this podcast. Uh, My name is Scott Wilkin. I'm the Senior Planning Project Manager for the Maricopa Association of Governments. Scott said that it can be difficult to tell what land is actively being used for farmland. Sometimes a field is fallow, Other times it's hard to tell if it's a vacant lot. But the most accurate data MAG has shows that land usage looked something like this in 2000. So when we look at the region, we generally divide it into east and west. So in 2000, we found that there was about 510 square miles of agricultural land west of I-17 and about 130 square miles of agricultural land east of I-17. However, the picture changes when you jump ahead a few years. We looked at 2017 data, and we found that west of 17, there were 350 square miles of agricultural land and 60 square miles of agricultural land east of 17. Based on those numbers, the West Valley lost 31% of its agricultural land between 2000 and 2017. The East Valley lost almost 54% of its agricultural land during that time. Liz and I talked about the differences in farming in the East Valley versus the West Valley. Not only is there less land in the East Valley, which is more developed, but ownership of that land looks different than in the West Valley. In the East Valley, 
most, I would say general statement, a lot of the land that you see that is being farmed and their little pockets are all owned by developers and they lease it back to a farmer. So I have several farmers that don't actually own any land. They strictly work on lease. In the West Valley, you see more actually owned farmland. That's not to say that agriculture isn't a major player in our local economy. Here's Liz with the Maricopa County Farm Bureau again. As a whole, the agriculture industry for Arizona is uh, $23.3 billion. And just to put it in perspective, last year, um, tourism was only a $22.7 billion industry. So agriculture is actually bigger than tourism in the state. Maricopa County accounts for a large chunk of that change. The University of Arizona released a study on the economic impact of agriculture in January of last year. That report said that in 2015, Maricopa County generated roughly $469 million in sales from crops. $584 million came in sales from livestock, poultry, and their products. Dairy is the leading industry here, with $418 million in sales from cow milk alone. The study from the University of Arizona found that, quote, Family or individually owned farms are the most common type of legal organization of farms in Maricopa County, followed by partnership and family-held corporations. So far, we've established two things. The amount of land in Maricopa County that's dedicated to agriculture has shrunk, but it's still an important part of our local economy. That made me wonder how farmers today are keeping the proverbial ship steady. Or, as Liz put it, our members and our farmers are trying to find that little mark so that they can continue their longevity to the next two, three, four generations and still be able to operate and farm within this urban setting that's constantly changing. Agrotourism is part of the solution. Getting consumers out to your farm not only gives them an opportunity to purchase your products, but it helps connect them to agriculture as a whole. Kids get a chance to pet farm animals and run through corn mazes, all while learning about what a farmer does. Liz said that Rocker 7 Farm Patch in Buckeye is a good example of this. So they are a fully operational farm. They grow hay, they have corn and all this stuff. But for them, it was very important to educate the public as to where your food comes from or even the material that makes your clothing. Other farms have converted part of their production to you pick them. We have a board member who him and his dad have farmed and ranched forever. Well, the last couple of years they've had a citrus you pick. And so it's just sort of transitioning that so that there's more general public because, again, it goes back to the experience of going out and picking your own citrus. Finding a strong marketing tactic helps, too. Dan Sizens, they have their glass bottles. Um, that, again, was a niche. Uh, how are we going to grow and sustain our business? On November 1, 2014, we started bottling our own milk from our cows on the dairy right here in Phoenix. We wanted to provide our neighbors with the best-tasting milk, freshest milk possible. 
Full disclosure, the glass bottles got me. I buy Danzeisen. It's local, and I like that the glass bottles can be returned and reused. It gives me that warm, fuzzy feeling yuppies get when they shop local. But enough about my shopping habits. Another business move made by local farmers is diversifying where their goods are sold. So we have people that their income is from the farmer's markets, but they might also be turning around and selling to the grocery stores as well. So, um, or they'll have their fruit stands, like Russo's um, carrots. They do carrots and they do watermelon and they do a few other things. And then in the summer, they actually turn around and they'll sell, they'll grow some corn and other things and they'll have their own farmer's market little stand over on the west side. The here and now of local agriculture is defined by evolution. As the metro area has grown, farming has evolved. It's central to the valley and the state's economy. But what does the future look like? For one, the population is going to keep growing. Here's Scott again. It's cyclical, but we do expect growth to continue. We've, Maricopa County has been the fastest growing county in America the last three years, and we haven't seen anything to indicate that's going to stop. So if you think about where the developable land is, most of it is in the West Valley, west of 17, west of Phoenix. So we, we think that that's going to continue on kind of the same trajectory. Maybe it'll slow down, but I think people still want to move here, and people are still having kids, so we expect the growth to continue and therefore the development to continue. As developments continue to fan out across the valley, farmland becomes more desirable for developers. That's driving the monetary value of farmland up. For some, that equation may tip the scales towards selling, even if they still live in Maricopa County. When I first moved here almost 20 years ago, you'd see much more farmers and ranchers selling out and moving south, like to Pinal County. Um, and we do have several dairymen that maybe have a dairy here and a couple down in Pinal County. So if they sell out here, they'll just consolidate to um, Pinal County, but they'll probably still live here and use the schools. When I think of farms, I think of long rectangular pieces of land with rows of symmetrical crops. Maybe there's a John Deere tractor plowing the field with a dad teaching his son how to operate it. But that type of farm most likely won't be the future of farming in the East Valley. And odds are it'll be pushed out to the fringes of the West Valley. The place where it's most likely to survive is on the Native American reservations in Maricopa and Pinal counties. That's where the predicted population growth and developments are minimal. So what comes next is another round of evolution. As the years go by now, we're at it kind of on the cusp of the way agriculture may happen in the county. Um, you're seeing more, as I mentioned, microgreens or greenhouses. Um, in other parts of the country, they're taking old abandoned warehouses and they're creating floors and floors of growing tomatoes, growing herbs, growing uh, more like where you could just stick them in racks, kind of like a bread rack at a, uh, like a Subway or a Jimmy John's, you see those, and you can grow microgreens that way. 
I was curious about this kind of farming, so I went to visit one in East Mesa. My name is Troy Albright, and I'm actually the owner of True Garden. We can grow um, all your cool leaf, uh, cool leaf seasonal crops year-round here. So all your kales, your lettuce, your spinach, all your herbs, all that year-round. But it's how True Garden grows their produce that sets them apart. They're a vertical aeroponic greenhouse, meaning their food is grown in towers instead of being grown in the ground. Troy gave me a tour of the place. So this greenhouse was designed just for the towers. Vertical, you know, 16 feet to the gutters, and then 23 feet to the peak, because this is an A-frame greenhouse. That way it allows the hot air to rise and then be exhausted out the back. We have a big wet wall, so it's like a big swamp cooler. It can drop the temperature anywhere between 15 and 20 degrees. Plus we have a microfogging system. So between the two, we can drop the temperature 40 to 50 degrees in here. So if it's 120 out, the hottest this greenhouse gets is 87. These towers are nine feet tall. I have 52 grow spots. So at any, so again, you can imagine this horizontally, it would take 10 times more space. When we're maxed out, 320 towers in here. So that's almost uh, 20,000 living plants per month we could grow. Troy said they're growing on a 13-week cycle now. They have tables of seedlings in the greenhouse that look like what you'd see at a garden shop. They're small plants that are waiting to be planted in a larger space to grow. Troy said that once the seedlings reach two to three inches tall, they'll plant them in one of the 52 openings on the towers. And in three weeks, we'll have a full head of lettuce, full head of romaine. Troy has 100 solar panels that help generate energy for True Garden and his adjoining business, RX Formulations, which sells custom supplements. Troy also said that vertical farming like this uses 90% less water than traditional farming methods. And growing vertically allows him to grow more in less space. So we can grow 10 times more vertically than horizontally. So my greenhouse is one-tenth of an acre. This property has a whole acre. So if I had to grow horizontally in, in ground, it would take up this whole acre here. But since I grow vertically, I can grow uh, in one-tenth the amount of space. So 90% less land. As the valley changes and grows, agriculture will evolve alongside it. But Liz doesn't think that shift will hurt the local agricultural economy. It might just look different. I don't think it will have huge like economic shifts and we will always have large farms in this county um, it just depends on where you go um, and they'll move out further out in our county we're thankful we have very large counties so that allows that movement out Liz firmly believes that counties like Yuma, Pinal and Maricopa will continue to be the largest agricultural contributors to our economy and the proliferation of small urban farms will allow more people to participate in agriculture. Just the technology that's on the horizon um, and the opportunity that with this whole kind of the way our industry is shifting for urban areas, it's going to allow more people to be involved. If you're interested in supporting local agriculture, you can visit findlocalfood.com or choosemyplate.gov. Both sites will help you find local produce. And that's one thing I think general public, sometimes they'll go to the farmer's market, but they don't, they're not able to, or they don't think that they can just talk to a farmer. And our farmers are willing to talk to you. Like if you have a question and you want to know something, stop and talk to your farmer.
One quick note for our listeners before I toss it back to Kayla. If you're interested in this topic, my colleague Joshua Bowling wrote a story last year about it. He got a lot of perspectives from local generational farmers that you might want to read. I'll put a link in the article show notes so you can find it there. All right, Kayla, question for you. What's your favorite farmer's market and what's your favorite thing to get there? The open air market at Phoenix Public Market on Saturdays is amazing. I love to get flowers from Maya's and then I get a burrito from Mi Salsa and then I look for the best vegetables I can find. That is my favorite farmer's market too. I love going there and just getting like a lemonade or an iced coffee and strolling around and looking at all of the local produce, the crafts, everything. I'm curious what listeners' favorite farmer's markets are. Where do you go to get local fruits and vegetables and foods? Tweet us at Valley101Pod. Well, Katie, thank you for that look at urban farming. Listeners, if you have any other questions about this or life in the Valley, let us know. You can submit them at valley101podcast.azcentral.com. And we have some exciting news. We have another team member coming on board. Maritza Dominguez was a journalist at the Fox affiliate TV station in Tucson, who we were able to nab for our team. So keep listening, and in a few weeks, you'll hear from her for the first time. Welcome aboard, Maritza. All right, that's it for this week. If you're enjoying this show, be sure to rate us and subscribe us wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you next week.